When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Welcome to Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey, the podcast where every single week I sit down and have hopeful conversations with incredibly inspiring people about things in life that really matter. I am Brandon Harvey. You know, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but I know it's true for me. Sometimes I just meet people who I connect with them in a really real way instantaneously. For me, I realized that I've come across one of those people that I connect with instantaneously when we immediately start going into a dreaming and planning mode. I remember when I first met today's podcast guest, we'd actually followed each other on the internet for a little while, and then uh, we ended up hopping on Skype. And we started just planning and dreaming this cool project we were going to work on in the future. And it was so fun. We spent hours working through what this might look like, all the details, how we were going to make this happen. And, uh, and, and I think that's a pretty fun way to get introduced to somebody, to just basically jump headfirst on a project, something creative that sparks your passions and skills and abilities. This week's guest is Amber Ray. Amber Ray, if you don't already follow her on the internet, is this phenomenal artist who dreams big, has wonderful ideas, and has a lifetime of experience behind her. She's only like 30-something. She's the kind of person who just jumps headfirst into ideas and dreams. And, and not only that, but her dreams and ideas seem to actually move the needle in the world in any number of ways. And uh, I was in New York a few weeks ago, and I was working super hard on uh, a number of projects. I was there to speak at a conference, um, and I was also uh, simultaneously working on a project back at home. And I was just in New York for like 24 hours, and uh, Amber had a little spot in her calendar open, and I said, hey, why don't you come to my part of town? And I snuck up from the conference, um, you know, like an hour or two before I was supposed to speak. And uh, I ran up to my uh, little hotel room and it had an office in it. And uh, and Amber showed up and we sat down in the office and uh, we got to kind of dream and have a conversation and talk about some of the ideas she's been processing through and in a lot of ways has become an expert on. Those are the ideas of choosing wonder over worry. And it's something that really resonates with me because I'm kind of trying to figure that out right now. I'm trying to figure out how to follow my wonder, how to not get consumed by worry. Uh, but Amber is is super far down that path. And so it was so fun. You'll hear me processing in this interview. It was so fun to kind of process all of this as she was saying it and try to say, okay, cool. How does this apply to my life? And my hope is that uh, for people listening, that you'll be able to do the same thing, that you'll be able to say, okay, what, where does this fit into my life? How can I choose wonder over worry? Um, but, oh my gosh, I just have so much fun anytime I'm talking with Amber. She has so many phenomenal ideas. Her story is great. She's worked with 
uh, folks like Seth Godin, and she was working for Apple in her 20s. And she started this huge art project all around the country and all around the world. You might have even seen it. It's called The World We Want. Um, and oh my gosh, I just cannot get enough of her amazing work. So instead of me telling you all about her, I say we just jump into the conversation. This is Amber and I sitting across a desk from each other in a beautifully designed hotel room in New York City. This is so fun. You and I have known each other. We were just talking before this episode started about how we got connected exactly one year ago today, Yeah, which is unreal. Unreal. I remember the very first time I saw your work, which was before you saw my work, uh, you were doing these incredible um, art projects, these interactive art projects in New York, but also in other places all around the world uh, called The World We Want, Mm -hmm. where people basically go and you've got these amazing chalkboard walls that you, you paint all over the city um, with this kind of little form that says... It's, I want to live in a world where... Yes. And to create this world, I will. So the whole idea is how do we get people to think about the possibility mm. of what they want to live into and then the responsibility of what they'll actually do about it. I love that. And when I saw that, I was like, this is what <laughs> is so good about the world. Like, it made me so happy. Um, and and so I became a fan of you hitting the follow button on, on Instagram. Mm. And you were just saying that I launched the podcast basically a year ago at the time that we're recording this. Yep. That's amazing. And, and, and then I reached out and felt drawn and curious. And then we connected. We Skyped. We Skyped. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And we talked for like forever, just coming up with ideas. We're like, how can we do something awesome Mm, together? mm -hmm. And a year later, we are here in New York getting to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. So you and I have known each other for a year. And so I've seen a lot of the stuff you've been putting out in the world. Um, But I know that your childhood has like played a huge part in where you Mm. are today and the things you've done. Um, Tell me about what your life was like growing up. Oh, boy. (laughs) 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 Um, So many directions to go down. Um. Well, I'll start with the really empowering parts, mm. and then I'll talk about the challenges, and because they both equally played a role in in who I am today. But my mom was a, you know, single mom entrepreneur, and you know, got pregnant with me unexpectedly, and was like, I am on a mission to give this young woman everything she needs to succeed in this world amazing and was really rooted in in purpose love and service and actually the story just came to mind and i feel compelled to share it before i was born my mom actually got into a serious car accident and she was in a vehicle that went underneath a truck and when the car went under a truck um the what is it called the mirror yeah the mirror knocked her out broke her jaw. She ended up getting thrown out of the vehicle and they actually thought she was dead at the the scene of the accident. And they were preparing to put her into a body bag when she moved and apparently regained breathing. Wow. And so she woke up five days later in a hospital with her jaw wired back together. And that's when she learned she was five weeks pregnant with me. No. Yeah. And at this point, you know, she has more of other people's blood inside of her than her own because she had lost so much blood. And so she's, you know, she has, she's pregnant with a baby. She has all of these other, 
other people's blood inside of her. Oh my gosh. And she, uh, the doctors tell her that the likelihood of me coming to full term is, is just very low yeah. because of the impact of the crash, because, you know, they did a bunch of things in terms of radiation and whatnot before they knew that she was actually pregnant. And then the results came back that she was pregnant and they were like, oh, whoa. So, and this is sort of where, you know, speaking of optimism and positivity, this is where my mom, her jaw was wired shut, so she couldn't really speak at the time, but my mom would have said, you better believe she's going to be a healthy baby. (laughs) I'm convinced, you know, she had no shadow of doubt, really. Wow. And was just really held on to the fact that I was going to be this healthy baby and she was going to do everything that she could to support me. And so, you know, nine or eight months later, I came into the world healthy baby, totally fine, Mm. no complications. Um, And, you know, I think that initial moment that we had together before I was even born really set the foundation for the type of relationship and love that we have. That's beautiful. And and do you guys still have a good relationship? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're more like sisters. We're super close. That's amazing. (laughs) I help her navigate her stuff. You know, she's always... (laughs) She's always a support for me, you know, and she's, you know, today she's my biggest fan and cheerleader. Mm. And, um, you know, but as a kid, she being an entrepreneur was teaching me how to make money when I was five years old and I was doing candy sales. And then uh, we live next to Bob, the computer guy who taught me how to (laughs) um, like I got my first computer. And this is, you know, this is so normal now, but I got my first computer when I was four. But this is in 1989. Mm. Um, And so that really got me started on a whole path of sort of creativity, entrepreneurship, content creation. I was uh, creating an online magazine for young women when I was 11. And like <laughs> for the, young women? For young women. I wanted to, insp- like, I, the the moment for me was I remember going into the grocery stores and seeing the, like, teen magazines. And it was, you know, like, what to wear, get boys to like you. And I just, some of the content wasn't very, I was like, it wasn't we, connecting we, we can do you. better than this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I reached out to different um you know, women cousins and people that I admired and, and curated this magazine. Wow. That's so cool. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And what what did your life kind of look like then as you kind of grew beyond 11 years old when you got into high school? What were you setting your mind on? What was your trajectory like? Well, that's, this is the interesting part. And a lot of my work is around this idea of choosing wonder over worry. And when I look at, you know, my life, I had come out of the womb with so much wonder and curiosity for the world around me, starting, you know, doing candy sales. And I was just literally living, breathing curiosity, starting this online magazine. I was so led by joy and purpose, but slowly over time, that wonder was conditioned out of me and replaced with worry. And so when I think about our education system, suddenly I was like, you know, I have to have straight A's. I need to do things by the book. I will perform. I will excel. I wanted, you know, approval and validation from my teachers. Um, I had lost my father when I was a kid. My mom had remarried. There were like some some threads of um, sort of uncertainty in my male relationships. And as a result of that, I was always wanting approval and validation mm. that I was worthy, that I was good enough, that I was doing a good job. And so those themes sort of played out into my high school years, not to mention, you know, this is, I think every young girl experiences some sort of body image. Am I thin enough? And, you know, all of those. So combination of sort of like perfectionism, desire to really succeed and to have approval by others led me to both perform really well in terms of academics, Mm. but also to, you know, I struggled with eating disorders in my in my high school and into my early college. And 
um, and really found myself in this trap of, of wanting external success because that's what I thought was the next, what I was supposed to yeah. do. And you had, you had achieved a level of, like, I want to say like quote unquote success as an 11 year old or as a nine year old doing candy sales, starting this magazine. Um, do you think that that was one of like the drivers as well? You're like, wow, I did this thing. I want to do more of this. But then it, it snowballed into trying to maintain too much or were yeah. And, and when that happens, when you, when the worry overwhelms the wonder, does that mean that you don't like, I, I hear what you're saying. I think a great question. I think the difference is, is that candy sales online magazine, that was for my own intrinsic mm. motivation. I was led by joy, led by what curiosity led by what brought me alive. And then that shifted into what would have other people approve of me. So I went from living for what for, for what brought me joy to living for what would give me approval. So it was went from inner to outer. That's a good differentiator. Yeah. And so at this time you were pursuing, um, or you were, you were kind of living a life of worry. Uh, you graduated high school. You but I didn't know college. I was living a life no, of worry. No, of course. But you were just, yes. <laughs> In reflection, I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you worked alongside Seth Godin for a while. Mm-hmm. And Seth Godin is somebody that a lot of listeners are probably aware of. He he is a fantastic thought leader and and runs like the biggest or most successful or most read blog on the internet, something like that. You guys did, I mean, you were doing all kinds of incredible stuff. You mm-hmm. were working for big name companies. Um, were you enjoying it? Oh, yeah. I mean, and there was a, you know, in, in college, I so random, but I ended up working with Apple and Mm. I was the campus rep for my university. I like randomly at two o'clock in the morning, saw some, um, ad applied to it, spent, you know, all hours of the night putting myself out there for this opportunity and ended up working out. And that really, what Apple taught me was how to, you know, it was all about word of mouth. How do we get people excited? And this was before Apple was cool. This was like Dell had 88% of market share at my school. (laughs) And, you know, Apple was doing terribly, but they were introducing a new line. So that sort of taught me the foundation. And then when I think of, you know, why Seth even, because he chose, there was, I think, seven of us on the team Mm. out of thousands of applicants. It was sort of that, some of that foundational experience that, that led to working with Seth, which I definitely did enjoy it, but it wasn't that... Again, so if I went from enjoying work to seeking validation and approval to now working with big names, the work definitely excited me, but the way I showed up was in a state of worry. I was, I wanted Seth to like me. Yeah. Does, you know, I, I feel like a lot of my interactions with him were driven by, will he like me? Will he respect me? Will he approve of me? Not how can I give and contribute as much as possible? Hmm. And how can I approve of myself in the process? What can I learn about myself here? I was, you know, I had a, a constant, and I don't even think I fully was conscious of it at the time, a constant looping inner chatter around my even, do I even deserve to be here? You know, I mm. had a lot of those those sort of questions that were just all swirling around inside of me. Do you feel like in some ways they also drove you to achieve the things that you were achieving? Without that worry, would you have been where you were at? You know, I, I'd actually, I feel like wonder is what led me there. It was more a curiosity, Ooh. more of a... Um, you know, because worry, right, I'm filling out this insane application to, you know, work with Seth yeah. and worry saying he's not going to pick you. 
don't fill it out. Don't hit send. This is silly. You're not ready for this. Mm. And Wonder saying, come on, hit the damn button. Let's see what happens. That's good. And so that, that's sort of the way that I would wonder was like pulling me toward the opportunities that I knew in my soul I must align with. And worry was saying, mm, but I don't know if you're ready for that yet. And so that, that was sort of the way that they would play out. Mm. And so, you know, obviously we're talking about this in <laughs> hindsight. And so you, you know that you were living in a world of worry and that wonder is better. How did you figure that out, though? Did you did you just hit a wall at one point where you're like, I can't do this anymore? Yeah, and I think it's important, like, you know, moving from worry and wonder are not mutually exclusive. They can happen, like, moment to moment at the same time. Mm. We can be feeling led somewhere, but then have the voice in our head be like, I don't know about this. <laughs> you know, and, and so it's I, I think of worry and wonder as this ongoing and um, every moment choice we can make. Wait, I forgot what your question was. Um, d- did you hit a wall? Oh, point? did I hit a wall? Yes. Um, I mean, I think I hit a few walls. I think the when I kept just going for sort of external uh, external definition of success that led me down a great path. After I worked with Seth, I worked with an entrepreneur, started a new division of his company. He ended up selling his company for $250 million. I then like, I was like doing, 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 doing. And then I had forgotten about being. Hmm. And so that was, I think the first wall. And I had sort of a panic attack of sorts. And also really? the work that I was doing wasn't, that's when I chose paycheck and how it could, how it would appear because I don't know. I had this story that, that people thought I was jumping around too much. I was exploring too much and I needed to have a set path. You know, this was, yeah. you know, you should be in a job for 20 years. And I had, you know, I was like 25 years old and I had done 10 things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, I was very impressed when I first found you online. I'm like, oh my, I read your bio somewhere and I was like, how has she done all this stuff? And I think that we're roughly the same age and it was a blooming way, but okay. Does this, it kind of made me think, does this maybe come back to your mom? Your mom was um, an entrepreneur. Um, what kind of work was she doing? She was in real estate development. Very and, cool. Um, so she would help to build, in Chicago, build a lot of the commercial and residential Amazing. buildings. And, and she was all interiors. So oh, she would work with, fun. yeah, she would work with the developers and help them with all the insides of bringing the, the building to life. Do, do you feel like, you got the impression growing up that your mom was doing it more as a paycheck or more as a, as a passion. Oh, she loved it. That's she cool. She loved her work. And that, and I think that was, you know, she was a role model of a, what's possible when you love what you do. Cause she was very successful in what she did. And she had a new project every, um, you know, six months or multiple projects happening at once. Granted, it was all, they all had the same umbrella, but you know, whether she was doing a high rise in Chicago, something in the South side, you know, they were all different types of projects. And so I always saw her managing different mm. experiences at once. Yeah. And so that seemed normal to me. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> you, and you were doing all those things. Um, you said that you had a few different walls that you hit. Mm-hmm. What was the next wall that you hit? Well, I think the wall even before, Seth Godin was, I was, I think I was like 22. This was in 2008, maybe 2007, something like that. Um, and that I had a wall of sort of post-college first job out of school, heartbroken from relationships and 
questioning my entire lovability and self-worth and like a lot around all of my insecurities around male relationships really came to the surface. And that was the first wall. Um, And that's actually part of what inspired me to move to San Francisco. And Mm. so I sort of, I mean, I, I worked with this word of mouth marketing agency for two years, loved it, loved my team, loved my manager, loved the work. And I felt like it was time for me to to move from Chicago. And that ended up led, led me to San Francisco, Silicon Valley, where I got to work with a bunch of startups and that immersed me in that world. But then I hit another wall in San Francisco and that wall was, okay, this this work is not what I'm here to do. And I, and I know that. And I, you know, I spent a year at the company soaking up as much as I could. And I just had this intuitive feeling like this is, this is not my life. This is someone else's life. Like I, you know, I could have gone down the path of working for Facebook or Google or, you know, those companies. And just, I just, I, you know, I totally respect those companies. I respect people who work there, but I I still had this voice that said, this is not for me. So that was another wall. And so then I quit my job, sold everything I owned, moved to New York in this 48-hour period. Crazy story. <laughs> Thanks to Amit Gupta, who I sat down with. And he was, I was like, my heart says I have to go to New York. And he's like, great, go Friday. It was a Wednesday. What? And I was like, that's not possible. Here's all of the 19 reasons why I can't do that. And he had a solution for all of them. And so I literally two days later went to New York. <laughs> wow. And so, but he's actually how I even got connected with Seth. And this is how, you know, you follow the path of clues and curiosities where you follow the path of wonder. Um, and that was, that was definitely my soul leading me. And so, um, Amit had worked with Seth and he connected me with a bunch of startups in New York. And I was helping him think of ways to have his company connect with companies on the, on the East coast. And, you know, that led here, but you know, and then the, the wall of the panic attack, which I already mentioned. And then, Let's see, what, what were the walls after that? <laughs> I feel like the walls started to become doors okay. from that point forward. And this is where choosing wonder over worry is really important, is that yeah. when you hit a wall, you could fall down and, you know, sort of, it takes the life out of you. But when you realize that when you hit a wall, there's something to get curious about, hmm. that's where you can open the door and walk through it. And so I think what happened around this, after the, the sort of panic attack moment, I started to cu- get curious Use a lens of curiosity. What is going on here? Why, you know, why is this happening not to me, but for me? What is the underlying pattern that I'm not aware of here? And I started getting a lot more curious. And in that curiosity, I felt like my walls became doors. That's really cool. You and I, I think, have a lot in common. And one of the things I think I was first drawn to about you was uh, this sense of optimism that I Mm. perceived from you. During this whole time, do you feel like you were maintaining a sense of optimism when you were hitting these walls before you found the doors in the walls? Um, or, or is that something that came later? What's interesting about you know, this moment in time is that uh, from the outside looking in, no one knew that I was having any struggle. I don't even think I fully knew that I was having any struggle. There's actually a term, um, a woman named Lauren Zander, I think, came up with, which is this idea of being a silver lining a holic. I actually feel like I may have brushed, I'm, I'm going to be positive about this. I'm going to make this better and I'm going to find the silver lining here almost to my detriment mm. because it prevented me from seeing what was underneath that. Yeah. And so I'm all for optimism and positivity. And I think getting curious about some of those darker, more painful pieces is actually where we can really find a lot of beauty and light. Okay, get this. So I just, (laughs) 
this is this is getting me so excited because this is so in line with uh, my life right now. Um, so I started going to counseling, which okay. is like the best. It's so good to kind of just have this like self care, learn about myself. Um, but I am naturally a silver lining a hawk like absolutely <laughs> like hands down um that's why the podcast album art is like me like smiling and there's like s- sunshine or whatever is going on and um and the podcast is about like it, you, the original title for the podcast was the happiest people in the world like, <laughs> like it was that's basically what it was gonna be um and and that's just what i naturally go to and i was in counseling and my counselor pulls out this piece of paper and there's nine core feelings but um it's it's kind of like in inside out you know you've got a yeah, few yeah, feelings yeah. here there's anger fear pain joy shame mm. guilt loneliness and i ask my counselor i say why are all of those negative emotions except for just one of them <laughs> and he goes he just starts laughing and he's like these aren't like none of these are negative or positive mm. emotions. You just only like the joy one. And and it was really interesting to start learning about this idea of, okay, cool. In these other emotions, uh, where can you find beauty in it? Where can you find goodness in it? And, and in some ways, those are almost uh, deeper mm. emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love what Brene Brown says about this. I yes. don't know. Uh, I'm going to totally, I'm paraphrasing here, but she essentially says, you know, the depth of shame or pain that you allow yourself to experience is equivalent to the depth of joy. Mm. And when we, and that, and that I think was the the biggest, this is where really the door opened. When I stopped trying to to see the positive in everything, and I, and I think our society really has an obsession with positivity. Let's replace this negative thought with a positive affirmation, which is just putting a Band-Aid on it. So how do we actually, you know, get inside the wound and, and see what's there, see what treasures are in that for us? And I think that's where we can really experience a depth of joy that we didn't know was possible versus just the sort of, you know, superficial, always, you know, happy, 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 happy. And, I, you know, it makes sense. We, it's, I, I think, you know, when I look back, at least at my life, you know, my mom who went through this traumatic experience being pregnant with me, she really was like, okay, well, we're going to fix feelings, you know, and I don't know if she'd ever term it that way, yeah. but like if, if something's wrong, we're going to fix it. We're going to make yeah. it better. We're going to have a solution. And I, you know, when I talked to a lot of other people, they, they grew up in a similar environment and maybe that was just the time that we can put all of our negative feelings, negative quote unquote, into a box, put a really pretty ribbon on it and put it in the, in the cabinet and go back into the, the box of joy. And you had been doing this yeah. and you realized at one point, you're like, oh, I am a silver lining aholic. Yeah. It's not like you can just like quit it cold turkey because one, it feels great to just <laughs> see the world through rose colored glasses. It is the best, let me tell you. But also, you know, those bringing up these other feelings, that's hard. Like that does not come naturally by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you start to implement that once you kind of became a little bit more self-aware? I really feel like awareness was the big thing, realizing that I was running from and avoiding pain at all costs and measures because that pain was really uncomfortable. And that's where really curiosity and wonder, that's where, you know, wonder can be having eyes wide open curiosity for the world around you and, you know, putting on those rose colored glasses and to really inspire and enrich your soul. And it can be seeing this discomfort or this uncertainty as an opportunity to get curious. Mm. And so curiosity always felt more, you know, playful. It was a playful way to explore discomfort, uncertainty, and pain. 
And so, you know, I've always been a, a big journaler. I've always been a writer. And so I got my first journal when I was five. You know, I have thousands and thousands of these notebooks. But really journaling was a way for me to get curious and say, what's going on here? And really, you know, talk to myself like I would a friend, you know, because I, my MO was sort of being really self-critical and really judgmental and really perfectionistic. And instead I started thinking, you know, okay, well, what would, what would compassion do here? What would... I, if I had a friend going through this, how would I approach them? And I would be very open and loving and compassionate and curious and forgiving and say, you know, it's okay. Tell me what's going on. And so I really, I started to really sort of hug myself and mm. hug my fears and hug my worries and not say, you're bad. You need to go away. I'm, in, I'm going to battle with this. I'm going to battle with this fear or this worry or this pain, but rather to embrace that as just a part of myself and to have a, a lot more love for it. That's really good. And that's fascinating. Let's talk about the worry side of things again. Sure. So, so if you've got worry inside of you, it's not inherently a, a, a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing when, it, when it's steering the ship. Exactly. Um, talk a little bit more about what it's like to embrace worry on kind of the positive side of things. Totally. So, you know, worry can be very... Which is me being like a silver lining <laughs> holic. I'm like, hey, so is that negative thing? <laughs> how do we make it positive? How do we make it positive? <laughs> no, but I mean, worry can be really instructive and it can be a fuel. It can be a force for good. And, you know, like you said, worry is dangerous when worry is driving our decisions. Worry, fear, doubt is dangerous when it's running the show. And you look at, you know, studies show that uh, women have 13 thoughts of self-hate a day. Um, you know, 80% of the world's workforce is disengaged and unfulfilled with their work. The top regret of the dying is I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. Research is showing that 80% of our time is consumed in regret about the past or anxiety about the future, which is essentially worry. And that's when worry can be very dangerous, when it creates those sorts of outcomes. Where worry can be very instructive is when we, you know, when we see it for what it is and for me, like I learned to have conversations with it because usually what worry or fear or doubt is there, it's a, it's a part of us that wants to protect us that sees uncertainty as a little uncomfortable and scary. And is like, yo, watch out. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like our inner parent in a way, not that, not to say parent should be worried, but like, you know, it's, it's a part of us that's watching out for us saying, Hey, have you thought about this? And so there's actually this great graph that I wish I could draw for you right now. I don't, oh, here it. Basically, it's, it's this performance and anxiety graph, and it's a bell curve. Oh, great. I just handed Amber <laughs> a pen. You guys can't I see this. I always have pen and paper. This is weird. It's, it's in my bag. So It's this big bell curve. It's a bell curve, and um, on the y-axis is anxiety, and on the x-axis is performance. And basically, the way it goes is that about halfway – in, say we're like 50% anxious, that's where we receive or where we experience peak performance. And so worry can actually rile us up and get us focused and have us see the worst case scenario so that we can prevent it mm. and plan for it. And also, you know, for me, worry, fear, doubt, it's an indication that I'm heading in the right direction because it means I'm heading outside my comfort zone. And so if we can learn to just be aware and to channel that, we can actually reach our, our peak performance. That's fascinating because I... I've been trying to figure out the same thing within the world of the things I'm doing right now. And, uh, and I am launching this big Kickstarter project mm. and I've never done anything like this before. And I have to ask my community um, to, to support this, this hope and dream and idea I have. And I've got to talk to my friends and family about it and I have to put it out in the world. And 
historically, I haven't let myself feel worry. Like I just try to uh, pretend that it doesn't exist, you mm. know, silver lining everything. But this project is different. I'm allowing myself to actually be nervous. Like I had this freak out the other day with my business mm. manager where I'm like, nobody's going to back the Kickstarter. It's going <laughs> to fail. We shouldn't even try. <laughs> and that's so unlike me. But what's been really fun is learning to take that fear and worry and let it uh, help me understand that I'm actually really passionate about this thing. And oftentimes I forget that I actually care about things. And then the worry hits and I'm like, oh, there must be something on the line on the other side if, exactly. if this is making me feel nervous. Yes. I always say, thank you, worry, for being here. You're an indication that I'm heading exactly where I am meant to go. That's good. Because it, it really, it's like, and once you think the worry, it becomes quieter. Or if I notice, if I am in a, in a situation where my mind is just rattling, 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 the monkeys are jumping around, I'll say, hey, I see you. And it's like they get spooked <laughs> that I noticed them. And they'll, you know, sort of like, okay, I hear you. And I'll thank them again. Thank you for being here. I know that I care about this. Because if, we're, if we don't have any, you know, if there's no nervousness, if there's no fear, if there's no worry, then do we care enough? And are we really actually putting ourselves a little bit outside our comfort zone. Um, are we pushing ourselves? Are we growing? That's really good. Okay. Back to the wonder <laughs> side. <laughs> I'm like interrogating you. I'm like trying to figure this out for my own betterment. I'm like, yeah, this yeah. is going to be helpful for me. I've <laughs> got to get everything I can out of this. Um, earlier you mentioned clues. Mm. Um, you talked about, uh, you know, clues within the world of Seth Godin and how that was maybe a clue that you were on the right track. Um, this means nothing to me. <laughs> what does, uh, tell me about, tell me about clues. Uh, clues. So this is fascinating. Clues to me are everything from a, a soft whisper within me that says, I feel drawn here. Hmm. Clues are this time I was walking down lower Manhattan and I was going to a meeting when my body literally pulled me in the other direction and said, go that way. I mean, that's like really visceral clues. Clues show up in the form of, uncomfortable feelings. Clues show up in the form of feeling alive and expansive and pulled somewhere. Clues show up in the form of how we respond to difficulty. So clues for me I, is a data point. And I think clues is a much more fun and playful way to think about the data that we're constantly experiencing in terms of what resonates and what we have sort of a, a trigger around. And I, and I think it's really important to get curious about both because if you get curious about your triggers, again, there's great wisdom on beneath that. If you get curious about what resonates and where you feel pulled, that's sort of like creating an inspiration map for your life. And what's really cool is that wonder feels a lot like being a detective. Yes. Um, and to have clues be a part of being a detective um, is actually really fascinating to be like, oh, here's all the little pieces. Let's, let's, let's write them down. Let's have them here so that we can have a catalog of them. And then we can try to make sense of this and try to figure out where it's taking us. Exactly. I actually do an exercise called clue mapping. And I literally, I have a, you know, a notebook and at the center it says clues. And I just mind map out things that speak to me, trigger me, you know, grab me when I notice myself getting hooked on something emotionally, um, whatever it is that really those, those important data points every day is a, is a space to capture that. And every wow. week I'll go back and be like, oh, that's interesting. That happened. Um, or like a question I can't stop thinking about or something that I want to have clarity on that I'll see like, you know, this is something 
Um, I want to put it out there that I'm looking for clarity on this. And then sort of, you know, a few days will go by and I'll start to see clues that begin to answer those questions. Wow. And so it's this ongoing cataloging of all of the dots in our life. And, you know, I think Steve Jobs said this, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. And so being this like wonder detective, I love that you said that, who's hunting for clues and open for clues, it allows me to feel like I'm in flow with the process of life rather than forcing outcomes. So you're in flow with the process of life, but you're also largely aware of what's happening. You're not being taken hostage by life. That, and, and this reminds me a lot of a conversation that I had with, it was actually episode three of the podcast with Jedediah Jenkins. Mm. Um, one of my favorite conversations I've ever had, let alone recorded. Um, but he talked about, um, you know, going along with the flow of life and a lot of people stand there and they fight it and they, yeah. and they, but if you just go with the flow and you kind of let it carry you, it'll carry you in incre- in incredible ways. Absolutely. And the power of clues is really the power of noticing, mm. which is, you know, many of us walk around and are we, I would invite you to wonder, are you noticing all of the magic that's happening around you and within you? And, you know, there's of course the mantra of be present, but when you tell someone to be present, the problem with that as a mantra is that it's not very actionable. What does it mean to be present? But if you notice clues, if you notice what's happening within you and around you, you immediately become present. And so clues for me have been a, sort of a a medicine, I want to say, for noticing the magic of life, for noticing the wonder and the worry and how those two intertwine and play together and lead me on this continued path of my soul's evolution. That's really cool. Oh, man, I'm I'm like getting goosebumps. This (laughs) makes me so happy. This is so good. Um, Great great questions you have. Oh, man. I like this. I'm I'm all jazzed, too. I'm all jazzed. Good. Um, Man, I'm trying to think about what, what to ask next about this. Um, and so in your life right now, you just launched a new website about wonder over worry. You're working on a book around mm-hmm. this topic. Are we allowed to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's not top secret. Or <laughs> if it is, just don't tell anyone, actually tell people, but, um, what, wh- what else is going on in your life? Like, how are you getting to live out wonder over worry and how are you getting to share it? Yeah. I, you know, I, when I was a little girl, I remember, opening books and being transported to a whole new world and thinking as a kid, I'm going to write one of these. And it being one of those really pure, deep, true desires and longings. This just this inner child knowing. And so, you know, over the last, this has really happened, the whole book process has really unfolded in the last six months. And to be honest, how it came was from this moment of worry. I woke up after my 31st birthday and I felt this faint sadness. And rather than pushing the sadness away, going to brunch, making, you know, making it, which I would have done in the past, I opened my journal and I got curious and I said, okay, hey, sadness. I like to talk to my emotions. Hey, sadness, you know, what's going on here? And sadness basically told me, you know, you've spent the last, you've been in the, the, the real world now for about a decade and you've done so many things and, you know, I'm proud of all the things that you've done and you've been hiding and hesitating on this book since you worked with Seth Godin, which was mm. like seven years ago. And so it really became, you know, I, I feel like the book was the thing that I felt most called to. And as a result of that, it was the thing that I felt the most worry, fear, and doubt around. Mm. As a, you know, does my story matter? Who am I to write this? Am I ready yet? 
will anyone care? You know, all of those, that was what really ignited a lot of the inner and again, for it's, me. It's a, it's a reminder that it's important to you. Exactly. You see the worry and you go, Oh, well, this is an indication. I care. Yeah, yeah. I care. And, uh, so then a few days later I met with a friend and he had me think about and feel into, he's like, okay, it's the end of the year and you have your agent and you finalize your proposal. How do you feel? And my whole body was like, Ooh, I feel amazing. <laughs> he's like, great, go do that. Don't do anything else. Good. And then a few days later I ended up with a, at a workshop with Elizabeth Gilbert and She's so wonderful. I love her. I love her. And of course I'm entering this workshop thinking to myself, okay, I want to do this book, but I have these other things I need to do. And I have so much on my plate and da, 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 where am I going to find the time to write this proposal? And she said something, um, in the workshop when someone said, you know, how did you find the time? What if you don't have enough time? And she essentially said, you know, you're going to have to give up what you do want to get what you want even more. Wow. And so I went home and made a list. I want this. I want this even more. And on the, I want this list, there were like 17 things, but all uh, great things, all great things that could have been, you know, that I was excited about that I felt drawn to, you know, I, you know, I feel like I have ideas every day. That's ideas are not the problem for me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so I want this even more. It was only the book. And so I cleared my calendar. I spent three weeks. I wrote out my proposal. I sent it to public or sent it to different agents on actually, I finished my proposal on the 333rd day of the year with 33 days left. Mm. And 333 is this number of creative expression and enthusiasm and, and, you know, your life's work and yada, yada. And so I was like, wow, that's a great signal. And then that ended up leading to me finding a really great agent a group of agents. Um, and now we are working to sell the book by April and it'll be out next spring. Whoa. So that's it's, so cool. It's like sell the book by April, write it in um, September, write it by September, write it by August, I think. And then it would come out next year. Does it feel like you've already written a lot of it in your head? Or do you feel like you're just at the tip of the iceberg? I think a lot of it, you know, I've been writing for a minute. And so it's, a lot of it, I feel like, is written. It's more about organizing it. Um, there will be more writing, of course, but I feel like it's, I don't feel worry, interestingly enough, about mm. the actual writing process. That's good. Yeah, I feel excited to dive in. Cool. What part of the process do you feel worry in? You know, it was more around committing to it and thinking that it was now is the time. And I kept coming up with all these reasons to put it off. But now that I'm really in it, committed, surrounded by the right people. And of course there was worry and they're like, will this agent like me? Are we <laughs> going to connect? And you know, I had all those worries having those conversations. Um, cause there's a part of you that's like, pick me, you know? And I had to learn, remember I'm choosing myself and I'm looking for someone who's going to be the best and most aligned fit. So now that I've, I'm, you know, in it, I feel like I, I worked through a lot of the big internal roadblocks and I'm sure there will be more right now. I'm in like a space of flow, to mm. be honest right now. Wonder is, you know, literally like driving the ship with like her hair flying in the wind and like so much glee about her. Um, though I'm sure there's going to be more in this process. <laughs> it's so exciting. I just love this. Um, what have you been learning in the book process? So one thing, actually, a research that I was digging into this morning is around, you know, the, the brain and the way that our brain responds to worry, anxiety, and the way it responds to fear. And I've been curious about, you know, is there a distinction between the two? Hmm. And I found this really, really interesting research that was saying that fear is the response to what's certain and anxiety is the response to what's uncertain. 
Wow. So for example, this is a pretty aggressive example, but say that you're at an event and someone comes in with a gun and starts firing. That is going to activate fear because it's known, it's certain, and there's possible actual danger. The difference with worry and anxiety would be you're at an event and you're worried someone's going to come in with a gun and start shooting, which, Mm. you know, and the article was really in the, the research was around how we're in this culture of fear and worry right now, because the people, the, the companies, the media, those who, you know, have the money and who are controlling the conversation, um, know that they can manipulate our anxieties and fears to tell a story and to tell a message. And so it's just, I'm, I'm in the, you know, early exploration of some of this, but just, you know, the way that our, and what part of our brain responds to fear is a little bit different than the part of our brain that responds to worry and anxiety. And so mostly just that worry is, comes up when something feels uncertain, but fear is the response to actual threat. And so how do we, and this is me coming back to silver lining again, uh, but I, th- I think there's still place for it as long as it's not driving everything. Um, in a world that's controlled by these two different negative things um, or these two different ideas, fear and worry, based on certainty and uncertainty, how can we fight back against those things? Is there, is there a difference in the way that we fight back against them outside of just noticing yeah, I think the key phrase there was what you said, fight back. And it's it's interesting that, you know, there's been a number of books written about the inner critic or about the voice of doubt, whatever you want to call it. And um, a lot of them talk about how we have to go to battle with our worries and fears and we have to fight them and we have to, you know, it's a war. And I feel like when we can learn to have the opposite approach, when we can learn to not fight with, but rather have compassion for compassion, compassion. That's good. And so it's, it, you know, it all starts with the self and then it starts with the community and it starts with all those pieces. And so it's, you know, I think it's one knowledge, understanding that, um, how our brain is designed and wired to respond to situations, whether we're certain about something and it feels very scary or whether we're uncertain about something. And so that brings up so much anxiety because what if something bad happens? Um, it's, it's, it's having that, cultivating that awareness and then having compassion for ourselves when we're responding in ways that, you know, may not like, oh, this isn't who I am, but really remembering that we're all human. And so, you know, we're all going to have these sorts of responses. You know, speaking of compassion, it's having compassion for the self and it's also having compassion for others. Mm. And I think it's really important, you know, first forgive yourself forgive, you know, if you don't respond in the way that you would like, if you have a panic moment, if you freak out and that causes you to yell at someone, you know, whatever it is, say to yourself, okay, it's okay. You know, I'm human. Like my brain is desired, designed to react this way. I get it. I'm aware now, you know, in the future I can be more aware of this. And then it's having compassion for others who may have maybe triggered to respond. You know, when I look at at Donald Trump, um, as much as how he's showing up and the way he's handling himself and the way he's pushing policies forward. And, you know, I'm married to, or I'm engaged to a man who was born in Iran. He, uh, you know, immigrated here when he was young and he's changing children's healthcare and he's, you know, doing remarkable work. And yet a lot of his profiling is against people like the man that I love. And so that, that causes me deep pain. At the same time, I'm learning how can I have compassion for someone like Donald Trump to see that he's actually in pain. 
he, you know, there's something that happened in his life experience that has caused him to need approval by everyone to um, react in the ways that he reacts and how can I, he's still a human being. And so how can I have compassion for someone who feels almost like the enemy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine that he isn't able to have the conversation that we're having right now about choosing wonder over worry or, or, uh, or showing grace to uh, the parts of him that are filled with fear. And I think that there's probably a lot there. Um, and I think, you know, Donald Trump is obviously an extreme example, but for me, I think there's a lot of people in this country and I'm sure that sociologists are studying this right now, but I'm sure that there's a lot of people in this country who, whose lives are completely overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. Um, and a lot of that comes from uh, the news media. A lot of that comes from politicians like Donald Trump. And those people, it would be easy to say, oh, they're just like being manipulated. They're being controlled. But how can I show them compassion in the same way? And that's, it's, it's not an easy feat in a no. lot of ways. But I think it's so important because that's how we, like you were saying, if we naturally go to fight these things inside of us, it's actually not as effective as if we show compassion. And so if I say, hey, that fear is not only bad, but it's hurting the world, if it's hurting the country, um, maybe the best thing for me to do is to show compassion because uh, that's the only way that that people can respond. Mm -hmm. And compassion isn't, you know, just let him carry on with his antics, but it's, you know, coming from a place of we are all human and we are united despite our differences, no matter how extreme they are, I feel like allows me to come from a much more centered and grounded place rather than just reacting in the same way, you know, showing up the same way that he's showing up. I can show up with a little bit more, I don't even, it's like a feeling, this like, yeah, feeling of centeredness, this groundedness in my belly. My last question is, based on the ways that you've made choices and learned about yourself and reacted to those things that you've learned throughout your life, what's one thing you'd encourage someone else to do in their own life to kind of experience that for themselves, to get to go down that sort of path in their own way? To realize that in every moment they have a choice, worry or wonder, and to keep choosing wonder. And, you know, worry is that, that looping fear, doubt, that inner voice that is constantly questioning, that can hold us back, that can strangle the life out of us. And in those moments, there's still a part of us that whispers, what if, or what is this about, or what's going on here that invites curiosity. And and that's, you know, that's wonder, that's our inner strength calling. And so in every moment we can choose to fall down the trap of, of worry, or we can choose a perspective of wonder. And so my invitation for you is to choose wonder. Choosing wonder over worry. I love that so much. I cannot believe that Amber basically called me out uh, for being a silver linings-aholic. It's something that I definitely have been learning about myself um, and been actively kind of trying to grow in. And um, Amber and I are so similar in a lot of ways that this conversation really felt helpful to me. It really felt like uh, it's changing the way that I see the world and the way that I operate. So while I'm going to continue to focus on the good in the world, I'm also going to try not to be a silver linings-aholic. One of the things that stood out to me a ton in this interview 
was this idea of Amber hitting a wall and realizing that that was something to be curious about. And she said that when she becomes curious about these walls, that the walls actually become doors. And that's the way that I want to live my life. I want to, you know, push the boundaries until I bump into a wall and then be like, whoa, what is this wall? Let me learn more. And then start to just grow curious and try to figure it out. And then let that lead me towards the door where I have the opportunity to take a step through and really broaden my horizons, really open up what I'm doing. Man, Amber Ray is amazing. Go check out her brand new website, ChooseWonder.com. It is absolutely beautiful, really helpful. Um, I love what Amber's up to. Also, find her everywhere online. It's Hey Amber Ray. Um, Her art is beautiful. The things that she shares are so helpful. While you're looking her up, I'm on the internet as well. You can find me at at Brandon Harvey, Brandon with an E-N, everywhere on the internet. And you can find all the information about Sounds Good at soundsgoodpodcast.com. If you have a minute today, maybe even set a reminder if you want to on your phone, uh, can you leave us an iTunes review? It's super easy. Just search for Sounds Good in the iTunes store or really, I mean, if you want to do it in whatever podcast app you listen to, I won't mind then just leave a little review. Uh, We read every single one and we really appreciate everybody who's left reviews so far. It really means a lot and it really helps people find the show. And we love when people find the show because we believe that these conversations we're having are important and they make the world a better place. So thank you so much for spreading the word. Um, On that note, you know, that's a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week. Maybe fill the world with a little bit more wonder. And we'll be back next week with another inspiring conversation with an incredible person. Sound good?